the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. Five oh six on the Central Coast. It is Wednesday, February twenty eighth, two thousand twenty four. I'm Dave Congleton. At about an hour, Tom Folks is with us, County Democratic Chair, previewing the big election taking place next Tuesday. Later this week, Eric Gorham will give the Republican point of view. Tomorrow, we've got some local teachers coming in. There's a movement afoot to ban cursive handwriting and teaching of it in schools. What do we think of that idea? Steve Weiss also joins us. We are busy. It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. This hour, we have talked a lot the last few months about the situation in Israel and Gaza and the debate. But now here's a totally different angle. We're going to talk about a very prominent Russian-American journalist, Masha Gessen. G-E-S-S-E-N is how he spells his name. Uh, And for what it's worth, he's Jewish. Uh, quoting from the New Yorker, Gessen, who is Jewish and whose family lost loved ones in the Holocaust, has been criticized for a New Yorker essay published last December in which he likened the Gaza Strip to the World War II era ghettos that Nazis developed to segregate and control Jewish people in occupied Europe. Gessen argues in the essay that treating the Holocaust as a singular event unlike anything that has occurred before or after in history, not only is incorrect, but makes it impossible to learn lessons from the Holocaust that are needed to prevent future genocides. I also remind you that just the other day we had the sad case of the U.S. Air Force officer Aaron Bushnell, who set himself on fire and died outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, He was uh, protesting what was happening in Gaza, and he accused Israel of genocide. So, I mean, the issue remains prevalent. But this hour, I want that historical perspective. I want to explore what Gessen is arguing and whether or not there's any validity to that. Always good to be in conversation with the retired history teacher and regular historian, the one, the only, Mr. Mike Burrell. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me on. Uh, there's so much I want to ask, but I think before we make the comparison, we need to spend a little bit of time, Mike, and remind people about when we talk about Nazi ghettos and the ghettos during World War II, what are we talking about? Remind us, please. Well, as everybody is aware, the, the Holocaust, and over 6 million people died, probably 10 million in concentration camps and death camps. In 1940, uh, the Nazi program was to take and identify, and there, there are ways they could identify people in those days as to whether or not they were Jewish. And it became part of the, the annual census. So once the census cards went out and the Gestapo and all the various organizations as land was taken by the Nazis when they did their invasions, they started putting people in places called ghettos. And this was in the larger cities, and this started in 1940. 
And uh, all the big cities in the greater, what they call the greater government, or the, the greater, the general government, which was Poland, had ghettos. And one of those places was Warsaw. And Warsaw was a, a place that had, oh, some uh, 350,000 pe- Jew- people in, or Jewish people in the city of, of, of Warsaw, which had about 3 million people in the city. But the Jewish population made up like 30% of the city, and they were confined to an area that was about 2.4% of what the whole city was. So you're taking all these people and cramming them into an area where there was a wall built around the whole area that was 10 feet high and it was had barbed wire across the top, and it was guarded. And uh, the people were moved there, including probably another 40,000 people from the surrounding countryside were shipped to that same ghetto and put there. And they were deprived of food. Well, they, they weren't deprived of food. They just had to take what they had with them, which wasn't much, and what was smuggled into them. Uh, some people were allowed outside the ghetto to work and come back, but those were a minority. And uh, things like overcrowding, disease, lack of water, lack of enough food, and the random shooting and killing of people who went against these rules or violated what the Nazis wanted uh, made it a terrible place to live. And thousands of people, well, they were saying like maybe a thousand a month, people were dying in the ghetto just from those kinds of conditions. So then when the final solution came after that, when uh, they had the meeting at the Wansee Conference later on, it was decided to start liquidating the ghettos. And so there was a camp that was built very close to Warsaw called Treblinka. And Treblinka was a death camp. It was a place where people didn't go, and they did save some people to work in the death camp to monitor the machines and make sure the gas chambers worked and uh, cut hair and uh, stored people's belongings and shipped them back to the the Reich to be reused, that kind of stuff. So there were workers that were kept in Treblinka, but it was mostly where people were taken from Warsaw, from the ghetto, put into that place. They, They thought they were going to a work camp. They thought they were going to be taking showers, and they were gassed. They were killed, and they got to the point where there were some, oh, I guess about 350,000 had been liquidated, I mean, taken from the ghetto, and it got down to where there were like 50,000 people left in the ghetto, and this was in April of 1943, and those 50,000 50, people decided, we're not going easily, and the ghetto by this time was, was pretty vacant. There wasn't a lot, there was a lot of empty buildings in that place, and it had kind of been destroyed by the purging of the, the Jews as time went on. Uh, those buildings were evacuated. But these 50,000 had like seven pistols or seven rifles and about 50 pistols, and they decided they were going to resist. And so they connected attics. They um, they dug tunnels underneath all the buildings, and the buildings were three and four story higher and built very close together like San Francisco is. And they resisted. And as as they progressed, the Nazis, first of all, were stupefied that the Jews would resist. That had never really happened before in a military kind of form. And the home army of Poland was getting planning for their own rebellion later on, and that would have been everybody, not just Jewish people. So they were storing arms and ammunition, and there were a few uh, righteous Polish people that did, through the underground tunnels, give some supplies to the, the Jewish people who were resisting. So they had a few machine guns, and they had a few other things that they resisted, but they lasted for a whole month. They had a radio. They were broadcasting to the West saying, send us help. Bomb the railroad lines. Do whatever you can do, but we're resisting. Help us resist. Well, it took a month, and it took fire and grenades and and dynamite and armed 
door-to-door kind of fighting to finally kill the, the last people. And I guess when it got done to the end of May, uh, a month later, um, the last 7,000 uh, survivors were taken to Treblinka, having 7,000 of the fighters being killed, and the others went and hid in the ghetto in the other abandoned buildings. And by the end of June, those people had been wiped out because by that time, the Nazis cleaned out the whole area. And we never came to help them. No. And it would have been very hard for anybody to help them. But the point was is that there were a lot of innocent people that were in that ghetto that had been shipped there, but because they were considered Jewish or were Jewish, and then all you had to do is have four, par- four grandparents somewhere down the line who were Jewish, that was enough to make you a Jew and you would be considered liquidated if the time came. On a side note, I don't know if you've seen this, but the other night I watched a fascinating movie, not a documentary, but a movie called Conspiracy. With Kenneth Branagh, Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth, you've just referenced the meeting where they Uh, decided on the final solution. Yeah, one C conference. So this movie called Conspiracy is set the day of the conference where all the German generals and mucky mucks get together and they take the vote to move because they argue we can't afford to contain these people anymore. We have to think of another solution. Yes. And then they decide that day on liquidation. Yes. And the whole movie is just about that meeting. Yes. Oh, that's, And they that's, might as well yeah. be planning for Christmas. Uh, Instead, and, they're talking about the mass extermination of people. Yes. Yes. I have not seen that movie, but it sounds interesting. It's well worth your time. We're in conversation with Mike Burrell. More to come. We'll take your phone calls a little bit later on. This is Hometown Radio. If you're just joining us, we are in conversation with historian Mike Burrell uh, discussing a controversial essay uh, recently in the New Yorker magazine by a uh, award-winning journalist who's also Jewish, Masha Gessen, G-E-S-S-E-N, I believe I got the yes, spelling here. That's right. Yes. Um, and his family, he's got Holocaust survivors in his family. But he wrote this essay in uh, December comparing Gaza to a Nazi ghetto during World War II, saying that we must learn our lessons from the Holocaust because, in his estimation, it's happening again. And so I invited Mike to come in and see whether or not this is a valid comparison. Now, Mike, as we're back with you, the stats are anywhere between twenty to 30,000 Palestinians have been killed since October. Yes. And... 1,200 Israelis at least. Yes, well, 12,000 kids. For Palestinians. And, and uh, their, their initial attack by Hamas, which was horrible, there's no question about that, was what, 1,300 some, some settlers were killed or people were killed in Israel by Hamas. And Israel had, is taking the stand and supported by the United States that they have the right to defend themselves. So, so that's all true. Let's try this. In what ways is Gessen correct? If any, in your mind, meaning, is there any similarity between Gaza and, say, Warsaw during World War II? Well, he's saying uh, one of his main things in his, in, his, in his article and then the NPR thing that I heard about this is that just based on what has happened as far as uh, health care and food, it's a war crime. And that's exactly what happened in the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, there's the deprivation of food. 
the two hospitals that are or two hospitals have been destroyed. Others that are there are have been deprived of enough material to take care of people. So if you're talking about children, if you're talking about women, if you're talking about people who may or may not have ever supported Hamas, but they're caught in this web, are trying to get enough to eat and trying to get health care and trying to do things, and you're de- being deprived of the chance to do that, Gessen is saying that is an international war crime because that's exactly what the standard was met by what happened in, in the ghettos. The ghettos, they were deprived of those things. So we have a group of people who are confined to a certain area that they're allowed to leave to go out to work, but they have to come back. They have limited access to medical care and um, food. They have limited power. Yes. So in that way, I do see some similarity. Okay, so well, that's what Gessen's arguing. And he, of course, is taking flack from a lot of sides on this. Um, Certainly the Jewish community. And when you stop and think about the history of of the Jewish people, and you think of what they went through during World War II, and you think of what happened when, uh, when the British mandate ended in 1948, when uh, they uh, enough people had come from different countries that had suffered the Holocaust, and Jewish people moved to Palestine, and they had a plebiscite, and they, the British mandate ended, and there was a, they decided to set up the state of Israel, and there was a war. So then, where is Gessen wrong in making this comparison? Well, um, it's it's different because Hamas which is in Gaza and was duly elected by whatever people, whether it was a legal election or not an election, became the, the, the political and military entity that put on that horrible attack in, on October the 7th. So they attacked Jewish people across the border, and however they got there, whether it was a tunnels or flying those, uh, those uh, parachutes with engines on them or whatever it was that they had, they attacked Israeli, the Israeli country, and they killed 1,300 people, some or more. And they took, uh, what, 130 hostages that are still there? And I think that's a big part of this issue. You know, people are screaming for having a ceasefire. Well, that's, that's a grand plan, but where do the hostages fit in on this? So I don't know what's right about this. Uh, I, I have a feeling, but um, I think it's up for the people out here to decide after listening to all of this. Yeah, but you're the historian. Do you is is Gessen out of out of line to make that comparison? I'm going to try all. to pin you I down. I don't think I don't think he's out of line making that comparison because I think the charges that he's saying of starvation and deprivation of health care and deprivation of, of of medical care and food and water and those kind of things are a war crime. On the Stolberg line, under Nazi rules, how many Jewish ancestors did someone need to have to be considered Jewish? Your guest said four grandparents, but that would be 100%. Yes. But see, then you have to define what a Jew is, too. Which is why I, I circle back to this movie Conspiracy, because they take you through the whole meeting. I, the whole movie is like an hour and 45 minutes, but it's this meeting. And this is one of the issues that comes up, is what's a Jew? Do you have to be 100% Jewish, or you can just be partly Jewish? And they decided that if you were partly Jewish, that was enough to exterminate you. Yes. Yes. Now, I, this is graphic, so I guess maybe I should be careful about how I say this. But sanitize it, please. I'll try to sanitize it. But let's, let's say that, let's say that uh, Toivi, who is a man named that I was very good friends with, um, Thomas Blott, came and talked to my classes when I was teaching school. about his, He was a survivor from a, a revolt that took place in the Sobibor death camp. 
And he said when he got caught, he tried to make himself look like he had a full foreskin. And they and they, they would check with men and make them drop their pants to take a look and see what they looked like. And if they were circumcised, that was enough to make a person Jewish. Mm. And uh, with that in mind, then there was no doubt as far as uh, the Nazis were concerned or the Gestapo. That was enough. Now, for females, it's a different situation. Right. But, um, but I mean, I, I'm not sure there, that uh, these fine lines about who is Jewish and who wasn't Jewish mattered to the, to the Gestapo and to the Nazis when they were doing their thing. So in case of the case of these Nazi ghettos, they all stopped once it shifted from uh, confinement to extermination. Well, by stopped, explain what you mean. Well, the the idea that the 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 ghettos became deserted because they were cleaned oh, yes. out. Yes, yes. Right. So yes. this is like we're talking about during the first part of World War II. Yes, and well, then it, it went shifted. All the way up. Well, went all the way up. They were exterminating Jews all the way up through the Hungarian Jews in 1944. So. Right, but I'm I'm just trying to point out that the the, the confinement strategy was prevalent during the first part of the war, and then it shifted to extermination. Yes. Absolutely. All right. So they weren't concerned as much then about confining Jews because they were exterminating them. Yes. And uh, the last 50,000 in Warsaw said, no, they're not. And with Molotov cocktails and what a few weapons they had, they resisted. And the German or the Nazis could not believe it. Why didn't we help them? We couldn't? Uh, I think... I think it was very, geographically speaking, difficult to help uh, at that time, our bombers weren't uh, able to really reach that far. I mean, maybe it's possible they could have reached that far once we got into Italy or got, we got into maybe from North Africa. But I don't know enough about the military aspects of that to know exactly what it was. But I know that, uh, well, there, this man named Zamul Ziegelbaum, who was the Jewish representative in London at the time that they were getting the radio messages from Warsaw, Asking for help by radio, please do something, bomb the railroad lines, cut the roads, do anything to stop the Germans from being able to perpetrate what's going on here. Um, he, uh, he said, well, by my life, I have not been able to get it, the allies in the West to do anything about this. Right, so stop. maybe by my death. And he hung himself. Um, he wow. he was totally frustrated by the fact that none of this was taken that seriously. I got a minute before the news break. They'll start welcoming your phone calls. What about Gesson's idea that you can't look at the Holocaust as a singular event? You have to look at everything coming before and after. I think there's a point to that. I think that speaks speaks to how the Jews, or the Jewish people in Israel, have had to react to the antipathy of the Arab world. From the time of the inception of Palestine becoming a homeland for Jewish people, which was what the Balfour Declaration was about, they took Palestine and said that's also going to be a home for, for Jewish people. And so uh, this big influx of people came in from Western Europe, from all over the place, and it changed the aspect of Palestine to where there were many, many, many Jews there. And and it was very easy to have a, try to set up a Zionist state, to set up a country named Israel. All right, uh, Mike Burrell is with us, explaining and reacting to a recent essay in the New Yorker magazine by Masha Gessen, where this uh, Jewish uh, journalist compares what is happening in Gaza today to what happened in the Nazi ghettos during World War II. We got news, traffic, weather. We'll continue our conversation and invite your thoughts as well. You're listening to Hometown Radio.
right, here's the score. We're talking about a uh, journalist named uh, Masha Gessen, G-E-S-S-E-N, award-winning journalist, uh, Jewish, descendant of Holocaust survivors, but he's caused quite an uproar in a recent essay in The New Yorker where he is comparing what Israel's doing in Gaza to what the Nazis did in the ghettos during World War II. Uh, Mike Burrell is here, and he agrees, and I agree with Mike, that there is some overlap, although it's not 100%. Uh, but is it enough to give us pause? What do you think? We welcome your calls, 805-543-8830. We start with Ron in Arroyo Grande. Hey, Ron. Hello, Dave. Hey, How are you? Good. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there is no overlap. You know, the Nazis uh, were there for one purpose, and that was to eliminate the uh, Jews. They uh, trying to compare Gaza with uh, the place in Poland. Uh, I, I just don't see how you can do that. Well, hang on, Why not? We just listed a couple of different reasons. People can well, find. Can pe- well, yeah, but, but but I'm I'm pointing out people can find people denied medical care of food and water, heavy restrictions. Why is that not comparable? Well, now that I can talk, I'll let you know, Dave. Uh, is it not Hamas that had the water and the food, etc., down in their tunnels and refused to give it to the people? And the concern was as if, at first, if the Israelis sent in food and water, it was going to the people they were fighting against, Hamas. Now, medical care, different thing. But the problem is, too, there is this, that Hamas was stationing their people underneath in hospitals, underneath schools, in schools, with their armaments, firing missiles from neighborhoods and things like that. There is absolutely no comparison to what happened in that ghetto in Poland. And to try and compare the two, those people were surrounded uh, by the wall. They were annihilated. That's what they were. And and if you remember something, in World War II, I was born in 1945, August, so the World War II was just ending. But, you know, over the years, you see movies and you hear stories and you read things in school. When the Allies were trying to defeat the Germans, they went ahead and had to bomb cities. Then they knew that in order to end this war, they had to, they were going to have civilian casualties. Yes. Uh, and, and you, in, from what you hear and understand and see, because they have the school books and everything else from children on, the people of Palestine, Palestine, the children are taught how to hate the Israelis enough that you want to push them off the land into the sea. Hang on a second, Ron. Okay, well, I agree with what you're saying to a point. But you see, I don't think that it's that way with everybody that's that's in Gaza. I think that the Gaza, Gaza, what you say is true, but I would like to know to what extent that's true. And I think that look at the end result of the people, women... 12,000 children are all indoctrinated to hate Israel. All, are you sure that that's the truth? And then the other thing is, is are you sure that every woman out of 29,000 people and uh, innocent men all supported them? They might have tacitly supported because if they didn't support Hamas, they would have been killed by Hamas. Mm. But that doesn't change the fact there are probably many innocent people that are caught up in this thing and they're being wiped clean off the map. Ron? And then, well, 
they may be getting killed. I agree with you there. Not maybe. They well, are that, getting there's killed. There's the comparison. They don't have the medical, etc. But uh, if you're Israel and you're at 100% war with Hamas, what do you do? How are you going to eliminate Hamas without civilians being, uh, quote, the collateral damage, which I hate that word. But, but 30,000 30, people that you're okay with that kind of collateral damage run? Well, out of those 30, I'm not okay with that, but out of those 30, I heard that there was something close to 10,000 Hamas uh, military people. Over half of their uh, the people who are Hamas fighters were, were killed amongst those. Yeah, you don't hear that from the Palestinian Health Authority or whatever. That, yeah, that, but, uh, but that still leaves 20,000, Mike Burrell. Yeah, so, so I would say that... Even if what, all of what you're saying is true, which I, I would like to more, know more sources about that kind of stuff, but even if what you say is true, to me, for those 20,000 people that you're not including in the 10,000 fighters and you're not including in the other ones, that's enough for me to be able to say that there is a comparison. It's not direct. I mean, after it's all, not, Hamas it's, is it's the not one. Complete. Yeah, it's not complete. You're not saying it's complete. All right. And so, so thank you. Let's move on. Uh, Ron, thanks for the call. Paul's in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Paul. Hi. Hey, you guys, this is very interesting. I actually looked up uh, the National World War II Museum has a, a website that has a, a great article on the Warsaw Uprising and, and what uh, efforts were made to try and resupply what they called the, the Polish Home Army. And it seems, you know, according to this article, uh, and I invite anybody to go read it because it's going to be much. I'm just going to try and thumbnail it. But uh, the Red Army was the closest to Warsaw when when that happened, and Stalin was was having problems with with the German. I, they were having a hard time just taking uh, small cities at the time, and he looked at the the Polish Home Army as potential rivals when. You know it, when the war was was going to end, and because he wanted the part of Poland that was annexed to Russia when German Germany invaded, and so he wanted nothing to do. He didn't want the Allies to to help uh, in Warsaw at all, and he actually said that he didn't want if any Allied plane came and tried to land in on a uh, Russian air airfield that. He, he wasn't going to allow that. You know anything about that, Mike? Okay, well, first of all, sir, I appreciate your call. And what you're saying is right, except for you're talking about two different things. Okay, the, the home army had their own plans for, for a resistance attack to resist the Germans. That was in 1944. The 1943 uprising that was done by the Jews in the Jewish ghetto was a totally separate thing. And that was oh. not looked upon. That was not looked upon as something that the home army wanted to have anything to do with. They did not want to waste their weapons, giving them to the Jewish people, even though they could run them through the sewers and run them through the attics and smuggle them in. There were only a few people in the home army that gave anything to the Jewish resistors. Mostly the home army was holding on, and they didn't care. If, Poland, I hate to say it, was very anti-Semitic. A lot of ways. So they weren't interested in really preserving the Jews. They were more interested in making sure they had what they needed. So when 1944 came and they could do their big uprising, which was huge. And you're right. The Russians were right there. But they they didn't want any 
Anybody from the home army that was fighting against the Nazis in Warsaw in 1944 to be resisting them when they came through later. What else, Paul? Oh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't realize there was two different ones. I just saw the, the one 1944, and that's the article I read. Right, yeah. yeah. So look up 1943 Jewish Resistance. All right, Paul, thank you. 805-543-8830-800-549-5832. Historian Mike Burrell with us. Wondering if there are legitimate comparisons between what's happening in Gaza today and what happened in these Nazi ghettos during World War II. We've got Mark on KVEC. Hi, Mark. Hi, Dave. Hi, hey, Mark. Morrell. Hi. It's really, uh, it's really hard to judge a war that's in action you know, during its progress. Um, but this comparison between ghettos in uh, Europe in the middle of the war and now Gaza, uh, the occupiers, uh, the Palestinians of occupying uh, Gaza, the established government is Hamas, with the written goal of eliminating the Jewish people in, in the Middle East, in Palestine, in Israel, and eliminating Israel from the map. Yes. How does that compare with the larger, uh, much more overwhelming Nazi Germany compared to the size of the ghettos and the ability of the ghettos, who they didn't have a stated aim to destroy Germany and kill all the Nazis. Well, that that's it's, not the comparison. It's a little that, bit different there. Yeah. Hang on, Mark. What do you say, Mike? I was just yeah. saying that that's not the comparison that uh, this man, um, Gessen, is trying to make. Um, the political aspects of what you're talking about are absolutely true, but that's not the comparison. He's comparison. He's he's making a com- comparison to the people who are there that are undergoing the torment that's going on in that place, and that's not a lot different than what happened in the ghetto. Mark, well, you know the Nazis weren't attacking the ghetto and searching out and bombing the the ghetto. Oh yes, to, they to were. By the end, they to, were. Oh yes, they, they were. were not. Not at the compared level with technology and, um, you know, they weren't at the end after the uprising had came, yes. But people who are living in the ghettos when there's 250 million or, or 250,000, for instance, at Warsaw, that's not when the uprising was. No. The uprising was when 200,000 of them had been removed and gassed and killed in many different ways. But see, now, Getson's not talking it, about the uprising, though. He's talking about the thousand bodies per month, or even faster than that, that were dying in the ghetto before any liquidation took place. I would encourage people to Google, as uh, Marsha Masha, M-A-S-H-A, Gessen, G-E-S-S-E-N. You can read the essay in The New Yorker, figure out the perspective. Mark, we appreciate the call. We move on to Chad in Santa Maria. Hey, Chad. Hey, guys. How hey, you Chad. Doing? We're good. Thank Hi, you. Chad. Good. Hey, so um, I have not read that, what you just mentioned, Dave. So, you know, part of this could be a little bit ignorant. That's fine. But to, to, to me, it feels like, Drawing a comparison to the, you know, in the two situations, which I will agree with both of you that there are similarities, but it, it feels like by comparing the two and saying there's similarities is implying or suggesting that there's intent by the Israelis 
in current modern day, you know, where there was intent with the Nazis. And that may not be what the, you know, the gentleman was doing, but, but it feels like that's implied or, or can come across that way. And I think that's where you're going to probably have a lot of pushback from, from certain people because they feel like, well, hey, hold on, you're saying that the Israelis are trying to wipe out or trying to suppress this people group where, where like one of the earlier callers said, it's, it's kind of collateral damage. doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean we should agree with it. But it is different than intentionally seeking out a people group to try to wipe them off the face of the earth, That's, I think. Well, uh, interesting point, Chad. Stay with us, Mike. Uh, I would say that I would say that what you, your point that you're making is well taken. Um, and, you know, looking on the dark side... I'm not sure what the ultimate names are of the Netanyahu government. Yeah, we, the previous call was correct. We have no idea how this is going to end. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Netanyahu government might be per- perfectly happy to wipe out everything there and to take over the West Bank and to take over Gaza. I don't know. I don't know about that. Chad, what else do you want to say? That's all I got. It's a good conversation. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thanks yeah. for being part of it. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Pete's in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Pete. Hi. Hi. My two my two cents is that this is not genocide. This is an unfortunate consequence of aggression against Israel, ongoing, never ending, ever since its inception. And I'm sure Hamas planned this whole thing to sway world opinion. It looks really bad when you got a bunch of tanks get against a bunch of so called civilians. But this is not genocide. Genocide is intentional intent to wipe out some group of people. Now, maybe there's genocide against Hamas. That's fine with me. But I think these poor civilians are just in the way. And if you compare this with Dresden, Tokyo, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, this pales. Those are all pretty much civilian targets. Yes. The, yes. Part, I, the firebombing of Dresden was the most one of the most horrific things in the history of mankind. Yes. It would not be allowed today. Well, that means it's a war crime. And of course, we're in the middle of a war against an aggressor. Exactly what Israel is. It's in a war against aggress, ag- aggressors. They didn't start this. They're defending themselves. But the only way to defend themselves is to wipe out the aggressor. So you agree, Pete, and, that the goal is to wipe them out? Well, that's their stated goal, to hunt down Hamas and neutralize it, make it ineffective, kill them all. I don't know exactly how this plays out. Okay, so... But if somebody if somebody shot rockets into my neighborhood every day for the last 10 years, I'd go kill them. Right. Okay, so and I guess... if somebody the, got in the way, it'd be a damn shame. But I can't have rockets landing in my neighborhood every day. Right. Right. Okay, so well, I guess my, my, my question... My, my, oh, Pete, hang on. Pete, Pete hang you on. Let, let Mike yep. So I guess my question <laughs> is to you, and, and, it's, and I'm not really disagreeing with you, but you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Meaning, meaning? Meaning, well, if those civilians are in there and they happen to be there, there's just collateral damage and too bad. If we've got to get rid of uh, Hamas that way, then they all die. Isn't that how it always happens in every conflict? Well, I don't. Poor like, civilians eat it big time. Yes. Yeah, but do we? Not, do, but we do. Do we not speak up when we become aware of the high level of civilian atrocities? Mm-hmm. 
Do we not you know, speak I'm, up and say, hey, this is wrong? I think a lot of us, most of us don't know all the stuff that's going on on the ground. I agree. And I, and I think if there is an opportunity to get relief to those, to the innocent civilians, push them off to the side, say, here, here's medical, here's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I will bet that Israel is doing what it can without risking the lives of its soldiers. And I've read, I've seen lots of YouTube videos by Israelis and other people commenting on one side or the other, including the son of the founder of Hamas, who hmm. castigates Hamas for being a vicious but, uh, machine. Yeah, but Pete, I'm just struck by the fact we have a, this guy's a Jewish journalist, or his parents were in the Holocaust, and he's the guy making the comparison. He's Jewish. Yeah, I have... I haven't read that, and I haven't heard this whole show today that is going on. Mm. I'm just throwing in my two cents, and I just think, you know, what what would be the, okay, let's say there's a ceasefire, relief trucks come in, um, what's, what's the end game of that? You have any thoughts on that, Michael? Well, my thoughts would be, first of all, um, people would stop dying, I would hope. And then from that point, we would hope that people can open up a true avenue so that more violence doesn't beget more violence. And that means if you have to have another plebiscite and get rid of Hamas politically, and uh, what what the Israeli army has done already is wiped out a good portion of them. I don't know how many there are, but... And, and again, we're, we're all talking if and when and where and what. You know, we don't know the, all the stuff that's going on. Right. But I would hope that uh, there should be some way of negotiating through this rather than killing more people. Fair enough. Pete, thanks for the call. Mm. On the Stahlberg text line, Dr. Henry Oster, who spoke at our schools, was sent to the Warsaw Ghetto where his father died of starvation. Then he and his mother were sent to Auschwitz and Buchenwald. Your guest is right. I read Henry's autobiography. And he describes the ghettos much like what's happening in Gaza today. Well, well, that's well, yeah, that's I. All right, I would say yeah, it's too bad to have to say it that way, but that that may be the case. I don't know. I I just I just think that more violence gets begets more violence. All right, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back for a final segment with Mike Burrell. We're live. We're local. We're hometown. We're in our remaining minutes for Mike Burrell. Let's go to the Stolberg line. Uh, text number one for Michael. Ghetto comparison is actually Hamas built the ghetto. If Hamas surrendered and released all the hostages, the deaths in Gaza would immediately stop. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that that's one of the key points to having a ceasefire is that the hostages we haven't even hardly discussed too much on the show today. But I think that's huge. And I think that if uh, if Hamas has any kind of possibility of of, uh, of trying to make themselves look a little bit better and maybe uh, back away from this idea of exterminating the whole country of Israel, which is not going to happen, um, they would be wise to try to negotiate and do something with release those hostages. Also, I think that's a well-taken point. Also on the Stolberg line, no comparison, exclamation mark. The Jews in the ghetto were intended for death, period. The Palestinians are not. They are collateral damage from their own government's actions, starting this war with Israel. Besides, the Palestinians are being sent supplies. Well, I would say that um, if, if that is the case, I don't believe that everybody that is in Gaza would have voted for Hamas. I would question that. 
I think Hamas probably did it through coercion and and got control through coercion. And if they're going to follow those stated objectives of wiping out Israel and doing that, then Israel is defending itself. And that means there will be a lot of collateral damage and there's going to be hate spread that was it'll go on and on and on. And how do we break that? And I throw that out to anybody who's listening today. Number three, the ghettos were not created in response to attacks by Jews against German civilians. It's not the same. So. All right. What do you think would happen if the Palestinians put down their guns? You mean Hamas? If they were to, if they well, were, yeah, the Palestinians or anybody supporting them, Hamas, I, I, Palestinians. I, I think that there would be a chance for negotiation, and I would hope that there would be a chance for negotiation because what we're talking about is hope for the future. I mean, the the hate that's gone back. I mean, Israel's fought wars, and they've had to do it to survive. The Arabs have made no bones about wanting to get rid of Israel, and every time they they fight, they lose. And uh, the Israelis are not going to go down. They're they're they think that they're only. Their only hope is themselves, and if they have to rely on themselves, they're going to do it. And if that means a lot of collateral damage, that's what's happening. The, the head of Israel's Mossad on the Stolberg line, the Associated Press in September 2023, said that Israel is enforcing an apartheid system in the West Bank. Tough to argue that it isn't seeing that, if anybody he should know. Hmm. Uh, thanks for all the texts. Thanks for all the calls. Final thoughts, Mike Burrell. Well, my thought is, is that regardless, regardless of the situation, people, some of which are innocent, are being killed. And there, there were innocent people that were killed when Hamas initiated their attack. How do we break the, ch- the cycle of violence? How do we do that when we resort to having to have arms on both sides and people killing each other? And that's what bothers me. I always appreciate the conversation. Thank you, sir. Off we go. We got news and traffic and weather back on the other side. We have a conversation with Tom Folks. Stick around. This is Hometown Radio. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.